0: 90% of all scientists that have ever been alive are alive today. That's a lot of information, but don't panic. It's not an exact science.
1: Hey, Shannon, how are you?
0: Uh, Doing pretty well, John. Just had a really interesting field weekend. Um, Yeah, it was lightning and torrential downpours in the middle of a place that gets, you know, like an inch of rain a year, so that was always exciting.
1: Yeah, it was... Very appropriate that very shortly after the watches and warnings show, there were multiple flash flood events and hopefully (laughs) the information helped a few folks in that area.
0: Uh, Yeah, I really hope so because it was, we had some crazy rain Um, and it's, it's still raining here, but that's fine. We need it, but it was definitely the, the active warning map. If you followed the link in our show notes was extremely active (laughs) around here for this weekend. So it was a, it was a rough weekend, but we all made it through. So how about you?
1: Oh, you know, things are going pretty well. We still can't decide what season we're in from minus 10 Fahrenheit all the way up to uh, mid, <laughs> mid 50s, lower 60s. Uh,
0: uh, thanks, global warming.
1: <laughs> yeah, so we're swinging around you know, like, like we're in Oklahoma. But exactly. other than that, uh, just pushing for uh, hopefully pretty soon the next release of MetPy. Been working on all kinds of fun caching features and uh, things to try to make users' lives a lot easier.
0: Oh, that's awesome.
1: Um, and also a little bit of advertising. We have uh, MetPy <laughs> contributor stickers now. So if you make a pull request to MetPy, anything from fixing a typo to implementing a new feature or whatever you want, you get this little special sticker that nobody else gets.
0: Oh, man. But but don't these people already have Don't Panic stickers on everything that is stickerable? So how are they going to find a time, a place to put that? <laughs>
1: Yeah, I know. It's not, it's not a very big sticker, but if you, okay. uh, if you want one of those, you contribute to Met Pie, and if you want a Don't Panic sticker, all you have to do is let us know.
0: Exactly. Excellent. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, you know, this week we're really excited to have a guest on to talk to us about technology in the field and what happens when you write in with feedback that sounds really interesting. <laughs> so we're happy to have Corey Scheip joining us on the show.
0: Hey, Corey. Welcome to the show.
1: Hey, thanks for having me. So, could you tell us a little bit about uh, your background? How you got into geology and what you do?
2: Yeah, absolutely. So, I'm a I'm an environmental geologist. Uh, do hydrogeology and geophysics, and uh, I basically started undergrad as an engineer. And um, don't don't uh, disdain me yet here, but uh, as an engineer. <laughs>
0: I'm biting and, my tongue, but go ahead,
2: yeah, I, yeah so, so sophomore year uh, moved over to to geology and um actually was taking a structural geology class uh, and ended up doing some geologic mapping on my mountain bike. And at that point, I knew <laughs> it was it was meant to be. This was where I wanted to be. so, um, did geology and undergrad at the University of North Carolina in Asheville, North Carolina. So got to play in the mountains of uh, North Carolina for four years. Had a great time. Ended up going to grad school uh, more or less because I graduated during the housing recession and uh, nobody could find any work. So we all went back to school. Um,
0: <laughs> uh, uh, yep.
2: <laughs> went, went on to, to North Carolina State and had... Possibly the best two years of my life. Just such an uh, eye-opening, mind-opening experience, learning just as much as I could. I did marine geophysics, was kind of my specialty, and ended up finding my way into a a hydrogeology career.
1: Great. So you said marine geophysics, and that's a a pretty broad and very technically complex field, both in terms (laughs) of the data and actually trying to get the data. So what, what specifically did you do?
2: That's right. Yeah. So I was doing uh, marine acoustics in particular, um, mostly with uh, doing ray trace modeling, trying to determine how sound waves are traveling in shallow ocean basins. So we worked in the Southwest Pacific uh, near the Lao Basin was our field site, which was, let me tell you, an absolutely terrible place to have to go for a couple of weeks and uh, collect field data. Uh, I'm I'm kidding. It was awesome. (laughs) Um, So, so yeah, at at the end of it, really what we did is recorded with the use of of hydrophones. We recorded a a pneumatic air gun survey for oil and gas exploration and got to uh, use bathymetry data and, and more or less just model. Can, can we show how loud these air gun signals are going to be at uh, various ranges away from the ship? Uh, it, was, it was a great project, and, and we ended up uh, being pretty successful in, in doing our ray trace modeling and, and kind of determining uh, how quickly the sound drops off through the ocean, uh, given a you know, site-specific type of uh, information.
1: So are there all kinds of fun problems in there with like uh, temperature variations with depth and things like oh, that that you have to take oh, oh,
2: into account? Absolutely. Absolutely. So, so the sound speed profile, you know, of, of, of anywhere in the ocean is going to be different from from anywhere else in the ocean. And that's all dependent on the salinity and the temperature and the depth. And um, and, and yeah, so we have to have all kinds of site specific information to, to use uh, to build an accurate model. Um, thankfully, during the time that the uh, exploration was going on, they were also collecting multi-beam uh, bathymetry data. We were collecting it while we were out uh, deploying and retrieving the hydrophones, and so thankfully, we had a, a good set of bathymetry data to use. And um, it, it was great. I, you know, going in, didn't know anything about hardcore physics. You really didn't. Didn't know much about computer modeling. Um, a lot of these models, you know, we, we write text files and we execute them, we compile them, you know, it was pretty, some of the stuff we were doing was relatively archaic uh, looking back at it now, but it was great. You know, just had such a good time.
0: Man, it sounds like you had a very robust database to work with too, to sort of define all your parameters. That's kind of like a, a miracle scenario.
2: (laughs) Yeah. I, I lived in MATLAB for two years and, um, It was great. You know, it's where I just kind of learned how to manipulate large data sets and, you know, do a lot of things programmatically um, where, you know, now that's very helpful um, that that I can code to a certain degree and, you know, just learning one language is always helpful to uh, understand how to learn other languages. And so, you know, I still use a lot of the kind of that type of knowledge today. Absolutely. Yeah,
1: so you actually wrote to us. You said, I I found the show and I'm really enjoying it. And a long time ago, early on, you talked about using technology in the field and a little bit about iPads. And Shannon said she wasn't totally convinced. (laughs) And you had some experience with iPads in the field and wondered if we had an update. So we said, well, we'll teach people to write in. And ask you to come on and talk about your experiences. <laughs> yeah.
2: a, well, uh, so so, so, where do you guys stand now? Have you tried it again? It's been a while.
0: Um, it has been a while. And I haven't tried it again, mostly because I have 43 students and only 36 iPads. That's really <laughs> funny. <laughs> right now, that's the limiting factor. I just can't know. No. I haven't, I can't get over my pen and paper, but you know, today in class we were using our maps that we had mapped on this weekend and everyone was really cranky about it cause they couldn't read the numbers and everything uh-huh. was really blurry on the photocopies. And I was just, I sat there and I was thinking about this interview and I was like, man, I don't know. <laughs> um, so I haven't come around, but maybe by the end of this interview, I'll slightly turn a corner.
2: <laughs> All right.
0: <laughs> That's great. But I mean, like, so, what did you use them for in the field then? like, what?
2: Well, what- well we, we ended up, you, you, I guess just to start, you know, what prompted us running down this road is that we were working on a, a very large site. So in the environmental consulting world, you know, we, uh, very typical site would be something that, uh, a few people would work on, uh, maybe, maybe once a month, you know, maybe more than that. But, but, What we're working on, and I've been very fortunate to get involved in in such a a project of this caliber, but we're working on a project where we may have 70 people uh, working on a field site of a couple thousand acres uh, for months on end with you know multiple crews doing multiple different activities. So we may have some crews that are drilling, some crews that are running you know, various uh, methods of geophysics, some crews that are just sampling uh, groundwater wells for, for analytical type of sampling methods. And so it's a very uh, complicated site with a lot of moving pieces. And when we started this project in 2015, it was just very obvious that we were not going to be able to chase the paper of a traditional um, set of field books. I mean, if you can imagine having, you know, 35 or 70 or, you know, some, uh, you know, many dozen of field books, um, to, to get field notes from. And if you've got questions, who do you call it? That's what prompted us. And so we got a hold of some iPads that had at the time they were whatever OtterBox was making. Uh, but I think now they've changed drastically from what we were using, but you know, it was, it was a more or less waterproof, uh, and shockproof case that was on an iPad. And we just had to figure out a way to get it all to be automated as automated as possible. And so, so that was the, um, that was the real impetus here and what we ended up finding is a couple different pieces of software which we can talk about here shortly that that would allow our field staff to do a number of things in the field that didn't include a pen uh they included a stylus but not a pen and paper and so um, the programs that we used allowed us to write just as if you would on a field book, but you're using a stylus and it's on the iPad. All that gets recorded, and uh, at the end of the day, you just hit a few buttons and poof, it gets uploaded. And we've got it back in our uh, at our project servers wherever. You know, if our field site uh, was a couple states away, that was no big deal. And so our infrastructure to, to accomplish that consisted of the the iPads themselves, but then also uh, a field router that was hooked up to a, a Verizon network, you know, a, a, 4, a 4G network and, uh, and a printer. And, and that was all we had out at the site technology-wise. But it allowed us to do all kinds of stuff with uploading the data, printing. If I needed to send the field staff something, I could. They could print it. Um, that, that, yeah that's that's a, a quick and dirty rundown of kind of what we're what we accomplished
0: well i hope you feel bad for putting all those interns that we used to run papers back and forth out of business that's what i have to say
2: <laughs> we, we had one data manager run this entire job and oh yeah we put, we put so many people on the hunt for work you sure did <laughs>
0: jeez See, yeah. this is why I'm fundamentally opposed economic <laughs> reasons.
1: <laughs> well, so you said that, you know, you could write with a stylus like you would in a field notebook. Mm-hmm. Were you able to combine other media with that? Because I always found I, I would take a bunch of pictures in the field and write in my notebook, but I never could get them synced up exactly until GPS phone tagged stuff came along.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the, the so the couple a couple points to that. You know, one is that uh, with your stylus, of course, we could change colors. We could change uh, the thickness, so you could get pretty creative with with what you could do. But also, um, if you know, most of these forms start out, they start life as a PDF and then we get them onto the iPad and that's what you modify. And so you can, um, if you've taken field notes, you know, just a daily record of events, you can take a picture, you can drop it right into the field note. Um, you could, if you're drilling and you're taking a boring, you know, you're recording a boring log, you can take a picture of the, of the uh, of the core or take a picture of the soil, put it right into the boring log and you can draw all over it. And so you can annotate if you find a fracture that's interesting in the rock, you can you can annotate it. Um, If you hit a contact, you can tell right there on the log what's what on the picture. Um, So, yeah, you can get really creative with these. You can uh, some of them will there are some GPS devices that will plug in and give you, you know, sub meter accuracy or something like that. But you can also just use the internal uh, iPad GPS and so you can geotag whatever you need, a picture, your notes, um, yeah, lots of media. It's great.
0: So I know one of the things that John and I were talking about when we were talking about your feedback that you had sent in, Corey, was how, you know, how you guys all talk to each other. So you said you had this Verizon based router. I mean, did that mm-hmm. work pretty well then?
2: Yeah, it did. So we we kept our, our router. Um, we ended up having a couple of them on site, uh, but primarily we kept it at the job trailer. And so uh, at the beginning and the end of the day, those were the primary times that you could either you know bring stuff down from the cloud or you could push it up. And kind of one of our protocols was at the end of the day, we all in the environmental world, uh, safety is huge. So we always are meeting for, uh, safety meetings, both at the beginning and the end of the day. And so that was a prime time, you know, at the end of the day, we're meeting at the job trailer anyway, to just kind of go through some safety items. And so before everybody left, uh, just push everything you've got up to the cloud. We'll deal with it back in the office and you're done. You know, you can go on to your hotel, go out to eat, do what you need to do. You're not ever going to have to scan, field notes again. So we definitely put the Xerox guys out of business on the scanners oh. as well. Yeah. <laughs> oh,
0: well, some That's poor right. undergrad, of did a whole undergrad thesis on that. That's but, right. Okay. That's right.
2: <laughs> well, I was gonna, just going to say one more, you know, on this, while we're on that topic of scanning field notes, you know, the other trick here is that if, if, if we name uh, all of our files methodically uh, when, when you are modifying a, a, a boring log, let's say, you know, we give you a couple fields that you need to update and no more. And so your field, you know, your boring logs, not called something super generic, we can actually make it pretty specific, which allows us uh, back in the office, uh, you know, we've drilled 300 boreholes at this site. And so when I need to find a log, uh, the original log from the field, I can just sort by name, or I can sort by any number of things, or I can search um and just based on the file name alone, you know, all the information that that I could need is right there. Who who did the oversight? Um what was the name of the whole? You know, what date? I mean, I can find all of this type of information just because we kind of pointed you into uh, a, a methodical name of your file.
0: Man, that hit on so many of John's favorite topics. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah. Uh-
0: Um, But I will will say like sitting next to, in my office right now, next to this pile of student scanned field images, (laughs) just the searchability of this makes me extremely happy.
1: (laughs) So, So Shannon, all of your students have some form of tablet or smartphone, probably. What if you just had them, you know, use a scanner app on their phone and put the PDFs in your class management system?
0: Uh, hold on. No, I say that slower so I can write this down. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, I think that's fantastic because, like I said, I have this unwieldy pile of notes. And then you do away with the whole, you know, am I going to get my notebook back in time to do this? Or, you know, hey, so-and-so has my notebook because they're my partner. It's brilliant. Yeah,
1: brilliant. Well, and, you know, I can imagine being out at uh, one of the sites that Shannon takes her classes to. Uh, making a, a strat column, for example, what we ended up doing was making our strat column with textures in Excel. Uh, whereas having <laughs> something where I could put in actual photos of the rock would have prevented an extra trip that I had to make out there. Uh, yep. Uh-huh. Yeah,
0: exactly. Oh, that's fantastic. Um, before we get too far into like what software and stuff did you use Corey? I mean, I'm, why did you choose iPads as opposed to other things? This is, obviously a fight that John and I have a lot. So I would like to hear the answer to this. one.
2: <laughs> well, I, I hate to disappoint. I'm not going to give you a good answer. We honestly <laughs> never, we, we honestly never got that far. Um, iPads are things that a few of us had familiarity with um, uh-huh. this, this kind of, kind of came about relatively quickly. uh, And so we just went with it. I'm sure you could do this on any number of other tablet uh, devices, but uh, iPads worked for us.
0: (laughs) Okay. All right. I mean, that's about what uh, somebody said, hey, we got this money. Do you want us to buy you 36 iPads? I was just like, Okay.
2: <laughs> so right. I'm... Exactly. And and you know, for us, for for the company that I work for, and 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 for a number of other companies, I'm sure we have a, a a stack of iPads that that we can use on our projects, and so that that right. probably also pushed us in that in that uh, direction. Yeah. Exactly. So, one thing that
1: uh, I'm very curious about is what you said. You push it up to the cloud. What cloud technology did you use? Is this something where so, you were hosting it locally, or?
2: Well, so so we ended up using Dropbox and we had a corporate account with Dropbox. And so okay. we had just a few of us that had access to this and 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 this I can't say too much about the site we're working on because it's under litigation, but the um, the the security was of, of the utmost importance. And so, you know, we went with a corporate account that I think maybe three of us had the, the credentials to access. And and our typical procedure was, you know, every morning our data manager would uh, would bring in all the data from the prior day and and put it where it needed to go really I mean that was that simple um, for, for them and then also to check do we have everything we think we need um, you know because when you're talking, In the academic world, it's great. You you go out, you do your field work. You've got your notes, maybe a boring log, but you don't have all this. At least I I don't. We didn't have all this uh, periphery paperwork to keep track of, which now I do. And 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 so, for example, you know, vehicle inspection checklists or uh, all the uh, safety paperwork, which is non-negligible. You know, there's a lot of these (laughs) other kind of forms that. That uh, are in my world that we have to track, and so yeah, we would have our data manager bring it all in. Check that we have everything we expect, uh, and then file the boring logs with all the boring logs, the uh, the daily record of events with with all the other DREs. Uh, that's how that worked.
1: And the other question that I, I think Shannon would probably get to this, but I'm going to circumvent her um. here. <laughs> it's it's with a lot of pieces of field gear. Uh, Where geologists will say, but it takes batteries and batteries die. Was that a problem in the field or do you carry battery packs or how did you get around that?
2: Well, you know, we never had an issue with that. And I think that's primarily because we, we did have charging stations at the job trailer. At the, uh, at the end of the day, most folks, if, if they needed it, you know, they would, they would put their, uh, their iPad on the charger. But, you know, iPads, batteries these days, and, and a lot of these tablets are so good that you can certainly get through a working day, taking a lot of photos, uh, you know, doing a lot of online type of work and, and not burn it up. So we, we actually did not have any issues with, with batteries.
0: Well,
2: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, there's just so many ways nowadays. There's so many opportunities to charge. You know, we can charge on USB ports in our in our vehicles. Uh, if you, if if you have a full size vehicle nowadays, a lot of a lot of them even come with inverters. Um, you know, our geophysics crews, man, they could charge anything they need at any time of day. They're always prepared.
0: <laughs> All geophysics is, is batteries. That's totally, that's, right. that's totally true. I don't even think people do anything. It's just batteries and how to carry them around. Uh, well,
1: it's not a problem for geophysicists because because in our bag, you know, we generally have a car battery or two. Exactly. Uh, that's right. Not that's not a right. joke.
0: <laughs> that is not a joke. <laughs> Yeah. That was a... 330
1: cold cranking amps. I don't run an iPad <laughs> for a year. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh my lord. I mean, there was no joke one time when John and I were on a field excursion together and I mean, this isn't battery, but we looked around and I think we had 13 GPS devices between us and the car. <laughs> like, <laughs> uh, so yeah, yeah, it yeah, happens. Yeah. Um I I mean, I guess, you know, I have a, a solar charger that I was going to use at field camp this year. I know that's the old technology, guys, but um you know, it says it'll charge my tablet once so I could see where this would be doable because most of the time I don't take students overnight very often anyway. So, you know, mm-hmm. it's not a deal. Well, and
2: yet. that's a good. Yeah. And that's a good point, because if you're if you're in the academic sphere, you might find yourself, you know, in the away from all type of civilization you may be really out there for a couple of days um in the corporate world that's rare anymore at least on the east coast here you know we we don't have that opportunity to you know we're we're not uh kicking it by a campfire in the evening unfortunately <laughs>
0: and even if you were there's probably some hipster somewhere with his battery powered lantern that's right so you're good <laughs> well so I mean, this is probably, this is obviously fairly recently, but I mean, what exactly mm-hmm. did you use in terms of software then? Because that is also the sharing part across the iPads and everyone, the learning curve on the software seems to be a challenge for me trying to teach stuff. So how was that?
2: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's there's, there's a couple things there. I guess the primary uh, piece of software that we use is an app for for, for Apple products called Notability. Uh, Notability is basically an interface between uh, PDFs, images, and cloud-based services. So they, they interface well with a, with a couple of different cloud-based services. I, I don't remember which ones, I but Dropbox was on there. Um, and so Notability is where that's really where we can modify the PDFs. That's where we can change colors and add images and annotate things, um, change file names. You know, that's where everything is stored. In theory, if you've got... Uh, the same iPad for a couple weeks that you're on the program. you're going to be able to f- uh, create folders and look at all of your your different uh, files for the f- past couple weeks. Uh, but also you know that's what you're using to push them up to the cloud. And so um, it lets the staff kind of keep, track of what they've been doing, but also give us in the office, give us the latest and greatest. If you're working on a boring log for for multiple days in a row because you're drilling a a couple hundred foot deep borehole, uh, that's fine. Just give us the latest version every night so we can track your progress. We can see where you guys are. We can uh, get a good handle on what lithology you're in. If you've got questions, we can pull it up right there and then because you just pushed it to the cloud and so so notability just cannot overemphasize the utility that, that we had on that program um and between notability and dropbox that was probably 90 percent of what we used uh in addition we did use an Esri product, uh so es esri manufacturer of uh, arc map arcgis we were able to use collector as one of their programs and i think it's it's actually come a little bit uh, uh it's progressed a little bit since since we used it a few years ago, but you know, Esri lets you geotag data that you collect in the field and push it uh, to an Esri database, which is helpful for getting it into uh, the various geospatial formats that uh, that our GIS guys in the office may pull from. Um, an Esri Collector, I guess, what we used it uh, just an example would be if we're going out to let's say um, you know fifty different wells and we're tagging water levels. Um, on on a map in the office, I can see where are the red lights and where are the green lights. Because every time you tag a water level, the light will change. Uh, the light will change to green. You're good. You've got it, and I can see that. So I can track your progress in the office. And so that was a pretty cool tool to use because um, for environmental type of investigations, it's pretty important to get water levels within a reasonable amount of time of each other. If you have any hopes of uh, using that data to kind of uh, draw inferences of how the groundwater is flowing uh, around the site. You can't collect that data over a period of days. And so I can see how quickly are these field staff actually getting this data. Uh, It timestamps it without the field staff needing to do anything. Um, and, and then all the data is secure. There's no risk of a field book getting dropped in a, you know, in a puddle or, <laughs> or outside of a car window by accident, which has all happened many Exactly. Times. <laughs> like,
0: none of those are, that is not an exaggeration yeah. at all <laughs> or getting, yeah. you know, left in a subway yep. or oh. something like that.
2: Exactly. And, and, you know, one other thing on that is that's, that was super helpful is I can actually, I can also see the results. And so I'm sure, I don't. I don't want to offend anybody if they have dyslexia, but it happens. People will, of course, mix up what they write in their field book, and they have no right. idea because mm-hmm. they just write, write it down, and they come home and they give it to you, and it's crazy. Yep. Um, and so we we were able to keep a handle on that. I'm looking for numbers that are less than a certain value or greater than a certain value to say, ah, I don't really think that's correct. Can you check that one more time?
0: I don't think the importance of that could be overemphasized, really, because I mean that's something that you know, maybe that sits around for a couple of days. And just like you said, like you need these numbers quick and then you grab it and it's wrong. And there's no way to fix it, right? Because like <laughs> right. they've already they've already left the site or they're at least not in the area and stuff like that. So if you're sitting there overlording, like That's it sounds right. like you are, and uh, <laughs> you know, you can like, you can immediately make that, hey, wait, you need to go back and do that one again or something like that. That's perfect. That's right.
2: Reaction. That's right.
1: <laughs> yeah. So it sounds like overall the system worked pretty well, but what were some of the the challenging things that you ran into trying to implement oh. this with 70 people?
2: Right, right. And then this goes back to uh, Shannon's point about, you know, training folks to use some of this. So that was definitely a challenge, but I'd say, I, I'd say I'll kind of go in order how the challenges came. You know, the first challenge really was in the office. It was kind of what I'm doing right here is trying to convince people that have not used this technology to give it a shot. Um, you know, when when folks are used to the hard copy field book, uh, and you, you bring up this high fangled, highfalutin digital interface, you know that that's a challenge. Um, to to get folks, I guess the, the the first thing is the security. How do I know that it's secure? How do I know that somebody's not going to come back later? <laughs> Uh, get their, you know, open up their document on their iPad, m- change something, and then re-upload it. And I guess, you know, the the answer to that is kind of simple. It's that you could do the same thing in a field book. You know, if I really wanted to, at the end of a field day, I could, my, I could, I could write a whole new uh, page of field notes, and I could, I could give them to somebody. And that doesn't mean uh, that, that they're correct. It's just what I gave you. So that was kind of the first challenge is to recognize that the same challenges you have in a, in a hard copy world, as far as the, uh, the accuracy of the data and the security, well, they, they, you know, they exist in the digital world too. Um, so you've just got to have, you know, competent, uh, honest folks that are doing it and, 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 all the, and that applies. So when it comes to training folks, um, in the field or in the office, uh, it took a lot of time, a lot of phone calls, a lot of, uh, how do I do this? And um, we actually had everybody that, w- that we thought, you know, of course over several months, um, staff changes, but we, we kinda at the beginning of this, we, we had a good idea who we wanted to use and who was gonna be on the program and we brought them all together. And we had uh, a dozen or two dozen iPads and we just played with them for hours. And we made sure folks knew how to do the basics. I think without question, you can uh, train pretty much anybody these days how to do the basics, how to do the bare minimum, how to do what they would do in a field book where they're just drawing and it's that simple. And they're drawing with one color uh, and one pen uh, and then to push it up to the cloud. You know, those are the simple tasks. And and we definitely had some folks who their field notes were a couple lines, you know, and they were just kind of pitiful <laughs> <laughs> and they would you know they would give us the bare minimum, but but then we had some folks that were really excited about it and had tons of pictures and and honestly the only problem there is just these files got absolutely giant, <laughs> um, and, and so we had a little bit of challenges moving moving some things across networks, but. Um, but yeah, overall, uh, I'd say even the folks that were technology, you know, some some people just don't like it. They they, they kind of get uh, uh-huh. get worried when they, uh-huh. when you start using technology. <laughs> uh-huh. um, but but again, to get the basics, anybody can do it. Anybody.
0: So what kind of so talking about that, like the training? So you guys just sat around for hours and hours and did this. So I mean, where do you draw the line on that? Like, how long do you think that project would have to last? For you to say, okay, all this upfront effort is worth it. You know, is that a week long project? Wow. Is it a weekend? Is it worth it? I mean, obviously, there's our skills these people keep. So, you know,
2: that's, that's right. I mean, it's a, it's a one time training. Once these once these folks learn how to do this, this one time, they're good for, for additional projects. But yeah, I, I, I feel a little unprepared because we actually have done an analysis to show other projects at what point do you break even for, for different types of field events um, because you do have that upfront training cost. And, you know, th- but the reality is I, I cannot uh, uh, explain how much time we save on the back end. When when you're talking about um, having to scan, track, rename, format, organize these field documents uh, and then, and then, like we've talked about a little bit with the data accuracy uh, type of concerns, um, not long. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, Shannon,
1: it um, Imagine and, uh, you, know, you have a couple dozen students. Imagine if they all were able to email you the stuff. As soon as you got back to the university.
0: Uh, that's kind of a laugh. But yeah, I would I would hope that that could happen. Yeah, that's for sure. Because that is when stuff trickles in or whatever. But I mean, just even like you said earlier, uploading uh-huh. it to the classroom management system, you know, within a day or something like that, that would be really primo. Um, because what I have actually done this year is made digital notes on paper things that they turn in. So I set up in the classroom management system, I set up like a fake assignment, right? And so I comment on their papers digitally so they can have access to it immediately. Um, I never thought about just having them take a picture of it and then comment on it. So yeah, that's even better.
2: Mm. And, and, you know, there's a lot of PDF scanning apps even for, for like like we were talking about earlier mm-hmm. with, with Androids or, or iPhones. I mean, there, there's a dozen. If you, you just search for a PDF scanner, uh, in in the the Play Store, or the the whatever the the Apple Store is called, you know that's they're out
1: there.
0: That's a good call. That is an absolutely great call. I should. Okay, I'm going to add that to my list, guys.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so, Corey, when you are in the field doing environmental work, there's not a lot of you know like strike and dip type measurement, right?
2: Yeah, yeah. We unfortunately we do not do a lot of that. No. Yeah.
1: So. That's one thing that there's got to be an app. If there isn't, it's prime for writing where you could input a strike and dip and have it plot on a map in real time and save it. Uh, that would be invaluable. I
2: would think. Yeah. For somebody like
0: uh, yeah, exactly.
2: Well, and, and something like Esri collector, you know, yeah, I'm not intimately familiar with it, but you may be able to manipulate that. Uh, that uh, I
0: think you can actually, some of the people that I do know, the very few people that I do know that use um, tablets in the field, they do use Collector. So I'd actually already, I haven't used it, but no, I've right. already looked up that, and that seems um, very relevant for geologic issues in the field.
2: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and related to that, you know, nowadays there's also a few applications. Uh, uh, I've got one on my phone uh, called Dioptra, it's a, a three axis camera. That also puts on uh, puts onto the image. It puts on these, you know, the three axes, uh, your your degrees of tilt, or your you know, kind of where you're facing. Also, so what cardinal direction you're facing, and it also puts on there uh, your phone's GPS lat long, and so. That's also super helpful. So you may you may look into that because then you can get a picture from the field. You know exactly where it is, what direction it was looking, and and even at what angle it was taken.
0: I love that. Yeah. Okay. Writing writing (laughs) that one down too. Okay. Sorry, John. Did you You want to actually talk on this show? Corey and I are just going to take over. So. So I think there's
1: an app like that uh, for iDevices. I want to say it's called deodolite that I've seen a lot of storm chasers starting to use when they tweet pictures of tornadoes to the weather service, because then it's got oh. the location and okay. and all that. Uh, so it, you're using Dropbox to store all this stuff. And that's a cross-platform service, which is one of the great things about it. So, But you're using iDevices in the field. What are you using in the office?
2: Oh, i don't want to answer this we are using your we are using your run-of-the-mill microsoft office suite like you know just standard old corporate america programs oh, Okay. <laughs> yeah. now you know and, and, um, that's that's what we're using for our data management that's what we're using for our, our uh, kind of how we view these things but as far as our analysis you know we for a program that that we're doing, I know the topic here is the technology in the field, and so of course we have all kinds of tools that we use for the analysis, uh, you know, doing coding and programming and things like that. But but yeah, for anything related to these field ops, it's uh, you're, you're pretty standard program. I
0: feel like sometimes that uh, changing the this is academic or corporate behemoth. It's like you know stopping a battle cruiser or something, right? Like it's going to take a long time. Oh yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. So. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, just in the past year, I've even learned how to code in VBA, you know, Visual Basic for applications, simply because oh, yeah. we can, <laughs> we, oh, it, it makes me feel like 1999, oh. you know, but it's- Yeah. It, it's that all of our data is living in Excel. And, and so it's just a, it, I hate to admit it, but it's a convenient interface. You know, we're trying to move some of our uh, programming over to R, but that has its own kind of uh, learning curve associated with it. And it's, uh, it, can, it can be a slow process. VBA, allowing people to implement
1: Runge-Kutta integration in Excel <laughs> since 1999. Uh, <laughs> yep. So, uh, So you're using the standard office suite when you get the data back. What are some of the tools that you
2: wish you had that you don't
1: have right now?
2: Um, well, so the immediate thing that comes to mind is faster connections. <laughs> uh, we're, we're probably always going to say that, right? Um, that, that definitely is something that we need. Uh, something else I, I would like to see is almost like a, a speech to text, but specific for geology. I think that would have some utility, you know. <laughs> if we could have a, if we could get folks, is that weird? Oh, no.
0: I love it. I just, no. I imagine myself um, like yelling anticline into my phone.
2: Like, yeah, right. well, ex- <laughs> and, and and that's exactly why I specify the genealogy.
0: Am the I No, not am I climb. Gosh,
2: <laughs> <laughs>
0: and we won't even um, talk but, about erogenies.
2: <laughs> right. Yeah. Oh. But but I, th- I I think that would be cool to just be able to get more detail. You know, the more detail we can get from the field, it's it, it's easier for somebody ex- exactly like you're saying to just you know just to talk like they would about geology. But it can, it can be harder to get somebody to write all that detail because it takes longer. Um, and when you're when you're pulling rock core out of the ground at you know ten feet every twenty minutes, it can be difficult to you know look at all your fractures and get all your all your information written down.
0: See, this is where those Sprint phones that used to have that little, you know, push to talk, like the walkie thing, like like that went away. But I don't know, man. It seemed like that was a good deal. So if you could get that to also, you know, transcribe. Right. Well,
2: as a... Yeah. And as a quick aside, you know, many of my friends and I have have moved away from text messages. We now have walkie talkies for adults, which are some of these new apps that uh, allow you to basically just talk to everybody as a walkie talkie. You hold a button, you talk. Yes. Oh, it's great. Like
0: we're unable to call each other, but like (laughs) verbal text messages, guys, they're the new thing. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. Yep. That's right.
2: (laughs) um but but john back to your question i mean one other thing i i would love to see is uh, some sort of camera integration for uh you know munsell colors for soil colors for rock colors um i oh, think yeah. that would be really cool you know right now we're kind of relying on folks to to hold a book in one hand and now they're holding their ipad in their other hand and you know it can be uh yeah why not let let's, let's once it. you
0: like drop that soil sample on your little color chart and then you've messed it up. <laughs> yeah, I know exactly. What yeah. This sounds great. I'm on board with all this. <laughs>
1: uh, and what, what could go wrong? You know, one handing an
2: iPad on the side of a field Nothing. site. Uh, <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs>
0: That's what the Otter box hey. is for.
2: <laughs> hey, and you know what? As a, as an homage to OtterBox there, we didn't break no one. We didn't break a single iPad. We scratched the, we scratched it. <laughs>
1: But uh, yeah, we didn't make a one. There you go. There
0: you go. Wow.
1: <laughs> a, a question in a similar vein, but maybe not necessarily limited uh, to field technology. But what is the one thing that you couldn't do your day to day job without?
2: Um, pro- you know, probably just working with a team that's open to new ideas. I think. Uh, you know doing things the way we've always done them is probably the worst answer i can get when i you know approach a, a, approach somebody about how to run a job that kind of drives me nuts <laughs> so yeah. And, you know, like I said earlier, I mean, we, you know, I've spent, uh, this, this is the first kind of large scale implementation of this technology that we've been able to use. And it's, it, it's, it was definitely a challenge, you know, getting folks on board that initial push mm-hmm. to where we said, all right, let's get, let's get these iPads. We're going to pay for them, which is a crazy idea, right? That's <laughs> these things have a cost, um, but it's going to be worth it. You know, that, that was definitely a, a challenge. It's in the, in the consulting world, you know, we're not operating, uh, under under grants or we're not operating under a lot of our own capital you know typically this these type of expenses are getting uh, pushed on to a client in in some form or fashion and so it's it's difficult if, if if you're the client and and I'm doing the work for you and I give you an invoice that has 100 hours of my time and it's got a line item for you know $100 for an iPad rental you're going to kind of raise your eyebrows at me but uh, if I gave you that same invoice and it only had 80 hours of my time uh, and no iPad, um, or maybe I just mixed that up. But I guess the, the point is that, yeah, if you've got uh, uh, fewer hours, but you have this added cost, it right. all still comes out as a win for you. And that that was very difficult to mm-hmm. to kind of get across.
0: Well, it just goes um, to that whole, you know, your immediate reaction of... <laughs> You know, any short amount of field work was totally worth it for the overall gain that you got and all that upfront ah. stuff.
2: Yeah, yeah, exactly. And and like I said, it's a one time thing. And so we've done this on a large program. We've now got you know many many staff that are that are ready to roll, and and we can get them on other jobs, and they're just going to do nothing but uh, save time and money for for these other projects.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I can definitely say when you're doing. Uh, consulting work especially when it's something that requires hardware it's always a really hard balance to strike and a even harder one to explain so i think that was maybe one of the huge feats for you in this project (laughs) that's right
0: so in the in all your field investigations or even coming especially coming back to the office to deal with this like you know do you have any sort of interesting workflows that you created that you think would work for other people that you'd want to share
2: well you know we we to a certain degree we automated the generation of potentiometric surface maps so so groundwater head maps um you know we we can bring date point data from the field uh groundwater elevations actually groundwater you know depths from uh, known reference points in the field, we measure that distance, and we can automate the rest. So we've got surveyed elevations for the top of a well. If you give me the depth to the water, I can give you the elevation, and then we can generate a pretty quick and dirty uh, potentiometric surface map. So that that's one example where that can come together pretty quickly uh, as a first draft that we can then you know review and and kind of refine from there. But but yeah, that right there, no <laughs> no more three point problems. No a, no, that
0: is my. Assignment next week.
2: Um. <laughs> oh my god, so not kidding Students that
0: are listening to this, Corey doesn't know what he's talking about and <laughs> should totally know how to do this on paper.
2: <laughs> and John says
1: you should uh, learn Python or R and you know, give Shannon a nice contour. That's
2: I. right. <laughs> All right,
1: I'm
0: out, guys. I'm out.
1: <laughs> oh. Oh, so that yeah, so, that's really cool. Being able to generate something in pseudo real time,
2: yeah, exactly. And 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 mo- again, most uh, most folks from you know uh, the the days of the, you know when you always did it by hand with a ruler, you know, they're going to have some issue with that. But I think the key is that you're not suggesting that you're creating a final product. You know, you're creating just a very rough first go. It, it is going to be a, a, a pure algorithm created plot. Uh, but that gives you something to work on. It gives you something to work with. It gives you a good starting point. You can kind of refine from there. Um, and, and that's worked really well for us. You know, so that's, that's probably the most uh, integrated kind of direct workflow that we can take data from the field and quickly make it into something useful. Um, you know, as far as other workflows uh, associated with large projects like this, we can... Uh, we can bring in boring logs and borehole geophysical data to generate contact information, and we can do that pretty quickly. Um, mostly because we can bring in that data so quickly from the field, and so um, using you know the on-site router, uh, I can have borehole geophysical data to process you know within a number of minutes after it's been collected, uh, and so that's great. Um, we've used a combination of uh, the various golden software programs, so Surfer, Grapher. They also have something called Scripter, which is loosely based on VBA, uh, but it's their own kind of uh, native scripting program. And so given a whole bunch of contact information that I've gathered from the borehole geophysical data, uh, we've at this point got a, a site-specific geologic map for this couple thousand acre site that is generated via a program. It's generated via scripts. That uh, that that we've written, and so that's that's great. You know, if you're talking about updating a geologic map after a, a field campaign where you drilled another twenty boreholes, uh, it's super easy to get that into the system.
1: I don't want to keep you too much longer. One last question is: Where do you think the field of geology and geophysics is going to be in ten years? What's got you most excited?
2: Oh man, I mean. It, as far as the consulting world you know the the private world i think everything is going to everything is going toward technology the the digital uh revolution is is strong you know we are finding ways to get data from the field it's more accurate it's coming to us quicker um everything is getting geotagged. you know we're gonna it's we're gonna have to be careful we don't get big brother on our field staff you know by knowing exactly (laughs) Uh, where where they are at all times, but that's you know I think the field efforts uh, are just going to get quicker, uh, cheaper, and and more and more streamlined. Uh, it's exciting, you know. Hope hope to be part of that. Uh, absolutely. So, Corey, is there anything else you'd like to add? Uh, no, not at all. Just uh, geology, <laughs> ge- geology rocks. Get after it. Oh, uh, yeah. it's a great field.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and Amen. if folks want to uh, get a hold of you, how can you be found on the internet?
2: I- I'd say the easiest is uh, find me on LinkedIn. Um, that that'll that'll get me the quickest. All right, we will link that in the show notes. And thanks for joining us.
1: Okay, thanks for having me. Well, Shannon, I don't know about you, but I want to get back out in the field and play with some tech now.
0: Man, I know. Like, I'm going out this weekend, and I may, I may take my tablet out there. We'll see. Take your
1: iPad and your Apple Pencil and download Notability.
0: Oh, uh, uh, fine, fine.
1: You you mean, I mean, report back to us next week. We're going to hold you to it.
0: Yeah, you know that's exactly right. I was thinking I'm just going to PDF the PDF the map into it and just see how it goes. Hmm.
1: There you go. I, okay. I, I use Notability not for this, obviously, but I use it at work and really like it.
0: Okay, and I've never used my Apple Pencils, so this would maybe be a good uh, good time to do that.
1: Amazon Prime the OtterBox now.
0: <laughs> um, I we've we've got them here, so I'm good.
1: All right. Uh,
0: yep.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> with that, it's time for everybody's favorite segment of the show: Fun Yay! Paper Friday. Yay!
0: You know, I can see my cowbell from here, but I didn't plan ahead. So we'll just uh, we'll just go with a mono
1: cowbell today. <laughs> so this paper actually came from one of our summer interns last summer.
0: Oh, awesome.
1: <laughs> and he, he happened to send this to me and said, hey, I know you do this fun paper thing. Thought you might enjoy it. So thanks, Matt, for this paper called <laughs> Humans Running in Place on Water at Simulated Reduced Gravity by Minetti et al. <laughs>
0: And as was the case with the electric eel paper, um, the movies that are supplemental are really the best part of this paper.
1: (laughs) Yeah. So (laughs) the idea here is that a few legged species on Earth can actually run across water. So there's, you know, little strider insects, but there are also some lizards that can do it, too.
0: Right. Yeah. And if you're a Wild Kratz fan. Anyone with children under the age of 10 knows what I'm talking about. <laughs> there was a whole episode on the basilisk lizard, uh, which can also run across water on two legs, which is hilarious to watch. So, yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: Well, and, you know, the the little, like the strider insects, they use surface tension because they have very small bodies. Right. So gravity is proportional to the volume, whereas the surface tension is proportional to the area. Right. So you get that effect, but these lizards, they're sort of like the helicopters of (laughs) water into submission.
0: Oh yeah. And I mean, that's totally summed up by watching them run across the water. Right. I mean, that's exactly what they look like there.
1: (laughs) Yeah. So they would sink if they stopped, but they move their legs really fast, you know, like eight Hertz or so. (laughs) And they have this, Such strong muscles that they're able to generate enough of an impulse, to use a rocketry term, to keep themselves up out of the water.
0: Right, exactly. And their little bodies kind of stay on the same straight line and stay, you know, this constant motion. And it just looks like their legs are spinning like those little toys that have legs that move. It's very interesting.
1: Yeah, but if you've ever tried to run across water,
0: (laughs) it doesn't work for them. No. Mm-mm. If I've ever tried to cr- run across land, it doesn't work that well either. <laughs> that's a different subject. <laughs> I mean, so the point is, you know, how could humans do this, right? And maybe reduce gravity is one of those ways that we could achieve this.
1: Yeah. So, you know, there's been the idea, and I think Miss Busters did a thing on this, about the Jesus shoes. Right. <laughs> and is it, if, if you work the math out, you need something that's about a square meter on each foot. <laughs> Which is absurd.
0: Uh, Yeah, I can barely run with my tiny feet right now. So, yes.
1: (laughs) So, yeah, the the other variable you can do here is since we can't reduce mass or increase the area of contact with these big one meter foam things on our feet or one square meter, uh, the option is to yeah turn gravity down, which we can do.
0: Right. And so instead of these ridiculous meter things, um, they kind of scaled this basilisk lizard thing, right? So the fins that obviously we have human subjects doing this and the fins that were designed are sort of in the same proportion of our bodies to the basilisk body feet ratio, right? So they are these little things, not ridiculous things, although they are funny looking still.
1: Yeah. And I think that this is one of those cases where We went to, you know, the dollar store or a dining (laughs) shop and just searched around with a tape measure until they found something that was close. Because these are commercial products. Right. uh But the numbers are pretty close.
0: Right. Exactly. Um, And so the point is maybe with this reduced gravity, we can make that sort of same movement that these basilisk lizards do to create the same running on water effect. And I'm not going to lie, John, I'm going to have a hard time bringing this one back around to... (laughs) to usability, but we'll get there.
1: We'll get there. Uh, so, <laughs> and it turns out a human can't, you know, we can't flap our feet into the water at eight hertz. Mm-hmm. Uh, about 1.7 is what most people can do. And as it turns out, uh, our muscles are pretty puny compared to the best. We can't generate nearly the impulse.
0: <laughs> Which is kind of needed to kind of slap the water and keep moving, right? So... <laughs> but we didn't talk about this experimental setup in terms of the uh, simulated gravity part. I think this needs to be said here.
1: <laughs> so, uh, the movie and in one of the figures in the paper, you see somebody in swim trunks with flippers on above a blow-up kiddie pool <laughs> with a big tripod above them and a pneumatic cylinder holding part of them up to simulate the oh,
0: gravity. Oh, yeah, man. I mean, it looks fun, what's going on, but... <laughs> <laughs> yeah mm-hmm.
1: well it, and I really enjoyed that in the video you can tell better than in the uh, figure in the paper that this kiddie pool is set up in the middle of a lab in a university exactly. and they have a tarp covering all the computers that are recording data around it
0: <laughs> yes exactly it's beautiful <laughs> it's a beautiful experimental setup
1: <laughs> you know the janitor had to go into this lab after they set this up and go what
0: I know. It surely was up for a while with a little paper sign that says, please do not touch experiment in progress. (laughs) Right. Oh, man.
1: All kinds of, they had infrared tracking and and nine different cameras that Mm -hmm. they could get different speeds of different parts of the body, different joints. Uh, This was actually instrumented fairly well.
0: Mm -hmm. Right, exactly. But it also doesn't quite approximate what the lizard does, Right. (laughs)
1: Yeah, and so you couldn't translate. So all the energy that would go into translation is now going into keeping you above water, which is good. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, They found that theory predicted that you could handle up to about 22 to 25% of the Earth's gravity. And a few test subjects could. Everybody could at 10%. Mm -hmm. Um, Most people could at 15%, which would be like on the moon and then fewer and fewer could as you got to the 22 to 25% gravity range.
0: Right. Okay. Yep. Uh,
1: One of the other interesting things in here was, well, this is reduced gravity, but we're not reducing the gravity on the rest of the physics. So when you're slapping the water, the water is rushing back in to fill that cavity under the influence of earth gravity. That would happen much more slowly, and you actually might be able to get a hooky and rebound if it were actually in reduced gravity where the water rebounded slower
0: ooh okay so now i imagine what bouncing across the surface <laughs> like hmm. or falling sort of, in yeah. yeah huh that would be interesting it's not and if you fell would've... in
1: it would be a much slower descent it would be exactly, kind of funny
0: <laughs> exactly that's a, the videos would be not as funny in actual reduced gravity is what i'm guessing
1: <laughs> it, yeah the video it, it's worth it's worth going and downloading. The link is a little janky. You have to right click and save file as because they don't know how to do hyperlinks for this journal, apparently.
0: But, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so bring this around to me. Like, mm, what was the purpose of this research?
1: So <laughs> <laughs> I, I suppose you could tie it back into biological research somehow because they're developing. They de- Well, they develop a pretty good numerical model yeah. of how all this works. Uh, The fluid dynamics isn't anything that's all that new. Um, Right. I've got to go back to my standard fallback position of there has to be some (laughs) use for this in an industrial materials (laughs) handling process.
0: Man, really?
1: So Hmm. imagine a fluid that's not water, but maybe something that's thicker, something more like ooblick. Mm
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And you have some kind of material that's very reactive with certain things or is very heavy or has but has a high aspect ratio and needs to be moved. I could see moving it on beds of water just like we have air bearings or beds of ublik. or
0: yeah, that's true. I hmm. yeah. okay. didn't
1: really incorporate okay. the flapping here, but I, I'm going to say industrial process, but also yeah. this just looks like they had a lot of fun doing it. <laughs>
0: You know, I feel like I can – I'm really good at taking the most obscure things and being like, no, this could apply here. And, yeah, besides the infinite amount of hilarity that I will get by re-watching this video, <laughs> <laughs> especially because at the end the guy just kind of gives up and looks at the camera, which I think is fantastic.
1: <laughs> Descends into the kitty pool. <laughs>
0: Exactly. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm having some trouble. So um, I'd appreciate any feedback by anyone that uh, takes a read at this paper and can come up with better ideas than we have for uh, uses for this one, because I'm sure they're there.
1: Yes. And as it's going to be warming up soon, if you decide to try to replicate this experiment, we would love to see your videos and talk <laughs> to you about it. Absolutely.
0: Absolutely. <laughs>
1: uh, And, you know, before we close, I actually have a request from a listener. So we would like to know what other podcasts you all cheat on us with.
0: (laughs) Oh, man. And, you know, the flannel cast is obviously the one that I cheat on us with, but that's it. That's it, John. I swear. That's
1: all. (laughs) So... A while back, uh, Alicia White from Embedded.fm put up a blog post with a list of podcasts she listens to. I put up one last January on my blog. Leo Ueda and several others uh, from Software Underground have put up posts on their blogs. I need to go back and revisit mine and update it as things have changed a little bit in the last year. But I think it would be really interesting to hear what other shows you all listen to and we can all find some new shows that we might be interested in and maybe get some... Uh, Cross show recording going again. Even
0: yeah, sounds great. I will. I'll make a list. I could do this. You'll have to post it for me, but I can do it. <laughs> yeah.
1: So don't uh, hesitate to email us your list of your favorite podcasts, or if you have a blog, put it up on there and shoot us a link. Shannon, how can they get a hold of us?
0: Well, if you're still brave enough, uh, show at don'tpanicgeocast.com. Yeah, we might call you to be a guest, but that's okay. Um, a safer way could be to talk to us on Twitter. We're at Don't Panic Geo. I am at Shannon Duluth. John is at geo underscore Lehman. And then always in the Slack channel, people are slacking off in there in the Software Underground on the Don't Panic channel. And don't forget, if you feel like we are adding value to your life and you would like to help support some of our show costs, you can do that on our Patreon, patreon.com slash Geo.
1: And until next week, remember, don't panic.
0: It's not an exact science.